Welcome to The Week Ahead in Russia, RFERL's Monday podcast about significant developments and upcoming events in Moscow and beyond. I'm Steve Gutterman, and my guest this week is Robert Colson, senior correspondent here at RFERL. Thanks for joining me today, Rob. Thanks for having me again, Steve. All right. Uh, great to have you. Now, last time you were on the podcast was, I think, a little less than two weeks before the state Duma elections uh, and the regional voting uh, that took place on September 17th to 19th. Now the elections are over and the Kremlin-backed United Russia Party has, according to the official results, retained quite easily its uh, two-thirds majority in the Duma uh, Russia's lower house of parliament. So somehow, um, despite what even state polls uh, said was a support level of less than 30 uh, percent, United Russia will hold about 72 percent of the seats in the Duma. Um, in fact, there are several contributing factors here. Um, I said easily uh, retained its uh, supermajority, but, but maybe not that easily, in fact. Uh, factors include alleged fraud, um, and simply the way the Duma is elected with half of the 450 seats uh, filled through individual races uh, in which the winner needs only a plurality of the vote, which in some cases uh, can be as little as 20 percent or less uh, for the win. Now, according to Kremlin critics, uh, manipulations of the relatively new online voting system, or e-voting as it's called there, uh, also enabled United Russia to claim a number of seats that it would not have won in a clean election. That that includes several in Moscow. Uh, keeping in mind uh, these and other factors, uh, I think it's safe to say the election has not done anything to improve the perceived legitimacy of President Vladimir Putin's uh, ruling apparatus, at least from the point of view of of um, you know his opponents and much of the world. What do you think, Rob? Has the Kremlin risked seriously undermining its standing uh, with these elections, or can Putin rest assured that he's firmed up his power structures ahead of the presidential election in 2024, when he can run for another six-year term if he chooses? Um, I think it's actually both, Steve. <laughs> they, they did. They ran these elections in such a an egregiously manipulated way. I mean, you mentioned all the a lot of the stuff that happened actually during the voting, but you, you didn't mention the crackdown on the opposition and the, the fact that no uh, genuinely independent candidates were even allowed to run, or almost none, were even allowed to run. That's so, true, quite an omission. Uh, right? Yeah, no, and then civil society has been, you know, basically re- rebuilt during this election campaign with a lot of the most credible and respected independent organizations being shut down or, or seriously hampered. So um, I think I, I think I said this before on your podcast, but it's hard for me. It's really hard for me to imagine how they can hold another election because there's so there's only so many times you can you can run an election like this and people can pretend that it's an actual election. And it seems to me that they've really pushed that to the limit. Even even among their own supporters, they must be getting tired of um, falsifying these elections, of running running this, these fake campaigns. Um, the on the other hand, uh, Putin has it was a test for the power structures. It was a test for the police, prosecutors, courts. 
the election officials, the, the e-voting system, which is definitely going to be expanded to be national by the next election. Um, so the mechanisms for running another completely fake election are, are stronger than ever, for sure. Um, with this election, though, I would say Putin has really boxed himself into a corner in a sense that he's not going to be able to get any any uh, liberal figure like uh, Ksenia Sobchak or Mikhail Prokhorov, who, who he's got to run for against him in the past, who had at least some liberal credentials. I can't imagine who would possibly stand up to run against him in, in this next election. So, And the fact that he, as we all know, he doesn't debate, he doesn't campaign, he doesn't do anything like that himself. What kind of election it's going to be, I think, is... is I, I, I have to say, even after... You know, 40 years of Russia watching, I can't imagine what the next election is going to be like. Well, I guess one factor that I mean, it's very th- thanks very much for pointing out, as you say, the, the sort of the deeper background behind befo- behind the Duma election, you know, with with the crackdown and, and as you said, kind of uh, overhaul essentially of civil society. And, um, you know, things uh, really have changed in the past year or so. Um, so that's very crucial background. Um uh, I mean, as for the the twenty twenty four election, uh, you know whether whether Putin runs or not. I think the general thinking is that he will at least uh, run for one more term. Um, but of course, uh, you know that's not uh, that's uh, not known at the moment. But e- but either way, I mean, another thing that is kind of an unknown. I mean, you mentioned you know who's he going to get to run against him uh, as a foil. Um, the other question is, you know, a lot of analysts are saying, well, these Duma elections, uh, you know, they kind of put the essentially the state is using force to get what it wants lately um, and little else. Um, and that's leaving questions, leaving, you know, people's dissatisfaction with the economy, with other issues. It's kind of being left aside. So, you know, another question, I think, going into 2024, whatever happens then is you know whether the state uh, can address these these problems or and whether it whether it does does so, um, and, and what kind of background that'll give for those elections. Yeah, well, one more thing I'd mention in that context is uh, I mean, it, they do definitely have to address these concerns to some extent, but they don't have to really satisfy them. I don't think one one feature of Putinism that has been very successful in helping them maintain power is their ability to convince Russians that there is no alternative, that, that without Putin, everything falls apart. There's no no other um, rational, stable choice for Russia. They've, the, the sort of rephrase, way of rephrasing that would be that they have convinced Russians, in the, in the broad sense, that Russia is incapable of holding a free election and generating a government that would stably run the country. Um, and I think that that's really important. When you ask Russians in, in polls going back for years now, um, you know, who, who they would see for president if Putin didn't run, and then, you know, the, the figures generally get to 3 4%. There's, there's, there's just this wide sense that Putin is the only choice. And that, that, is a, that would continue to play, even if, uh, for example, the, the people's... Um, dissatisfaction with sort of the social contract continues to grow at least a little bit.
Right. No, I see what you mean. And and actually, in my experience, you know, sometimes you you speak to people who, you know, will complain quite a bit and and, um, uh, vent their dissatisfaction, you know, with the system, with the government and with Putin himself. And yet, you know, at the end of the conversation, you ask them who they're voting for and they, they, you know, they they would usually say, they would often say Putin. Um, uh, So, you know, sometimes the reason is, well, he, you know, he's in power. Um, so you know that that's maybe a simplification of what you're saying, but but you know it's a very interesting, very interesting point. Um, now another question we were mentioning, you know, who's who are the p- potential rivals, if any? Another question that's um, related, at least indirectly, to the issue of 2024 uh, is that the the Communist Party did make substantial gains in the in this Duma election, even according to the official result. Uh, which gave it, I believe, nearly 19% of the vote, up from about 13% in 2016. Um, and the communists ended up getting 15 more Duma seats than they had, uh, 57, I believe, instead of 42. Now, it's a small percentage um, in the 450-seat Duma, but it does raise the question, uh, I think people are asking, whether the communists, long part of what's called the systemic opposition, uh, will potentially mount an actual challenge to the Kremlin. Rob, you wrote about this last week, and there have already been some developments since then. Uh, it may be early to say, but what's your view of this uh, question? Well, it was part of the Navalny strategy that um, if if the systemic parties could be could be switched over from their dependency on the Kremlin for their political survival to actually having a real base of support and getting actual votes, that they would um, become more independent and they would try to cultivate that base of support. Um, that's one of the reasons why uh, Navalny was willing to instruct people through the smart voting application to vote for communists. Mm-hmm. The idea of breaking this uh, uh, lockstep between the systemic opposition and United Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is some evidence that that, that would work. Um, we've seen Fergal, We've seen the, the, the former governor of Khabarovsk, who, who basically challenged United Russia and set up his own independent base. We've seen in local elections, uh, local councils, uh, communist factions have have cultivated their actual voter base and, and gone to them, and they've uh, resisted United Russia very strongly. It, it hasn't happened at all on the national level, and it's not likely to. Um, the communists were given more were given more seats, uh, but not very many more seats. So Zuganov will be able certainly to fill them with uh, sort of old guard communists who are easily controlled by by him, and um, the, he'll continue to take his instructions from the presidential administration or the FSB or whoever's running elections these days, or running domestic politics these days in Russia. Um, but we but we have seen. A little bit of what Navalny was thinking of when he when he came up with the strategy. I mean, they the communists are in the Duma now, so they can call their protests meetings with deputies and get around this idea that all protests have to be agreed and, and granted permission before. I mean, the, the Kremlin, the Russia, of course, you have to always remember, is not a law based state, so the Kremlin can always get around that sort of thing. But it is the sort of um, small bit of independent power that that deputies could have that they could use if they wanted to. Um, I the the communist electorate. It, I it takes a lot, and it takes a lot of direct 
threat to them to get them out on the streets. We've seen it with the the in-kind benefits controversy about a decade ago, and we've seen it with the pension reform. Right. They only seem to come out when their own particular economic interests are threatened. And for a general political statement like we want free elections, we want freedom of assembly, we want freedom of the press, the communist electorate is extremely passive. Um, and the communist leadership has a pretty spotty record on those issues as well. So I, I don't see any change. Um, the New People Party also made it, so now we have five uh, parties in the Duma and four systemic opposition parties. But um, the Kremlin remain, maintains significant levers over all these people. If, if on the uh, odd chance that a deputy did get out of hand, it's very easy for the majority United Russia Party to just vote them to take away their mandate or to open a criminal investigation, or as we saw with Forgal, to arrest them and, and whisk them away. So um, there's certainly... There, there might be a tiny bit of sliver of life for genuine opposition and genuine opposition power to appear, but if it does, the tools for for shutting off that light are, are still very strong and, and uh, available. All right, that's a very good point. And also, I think we saw over the weekend maybe, uh, you know, kind of example of the way the communists, you know, are, are divided to some extent and something the Kremlin can use. I guess, you know, there were protests... Um, after the vote and then on Saturday, um, you know, against the results, particularly in Moscow. Um, but um, the Communist Party leader, Gennady Zyuganov, was not there, as far as I know. And he, in fact, maybe at the same time as one of the protests, was meeting with Putin and the other leaders of parties that, that got into the Duma. So, you know, I think there's uh, there's something, there's kind of some symbolism there. Yeah, that sounds a signal for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, um, we'll see what happens uh, going into the, you know, the, when the new Duma um, uh, convenes and uh, we move toward the 2024 elections, still actually uh, a few years a few years away. Um, so there's a lot that can happen. Okay, we're running out of time. Um, and we'll stop there. Rob, thanks a lot for joining me. Yeah, it was great to be back. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Good to have you. Um, Okay. I'll be back next Monday for the next edition of The Week Ahead in Russia. Meanwhile, please watch for my Week in Russia newsletter on Friday. Thanks for listening.